Please take your seats with me and uh, turn your Bible to Luke chapter 16. And today, I feel like I'm going to speak about a very important message because it's a message that all of us have been impacted with, that it's a cultural uh, stronghold in our nation. It goes through TV, it goes through uh, some of our attitudes, it's taught in schools, it, it's riven in all of our lives. And so today, we want to break through into a bit of freedom, lot of freedom. Who wants to break through with me? It's going to take something from you, you're going to have to push in your spirit. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 16, verse 9. A very unusual verse that we often misinterpret. Luke 16, verse 9. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Make for yourself friends, and when you fail, the King James Version says, you'll be welcomed into eternity. Whoever can be trusted with very little can be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will be dishonest with much. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? What an amazing thing to say. And if you've not been trustworthy with somebody else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one. Everybody say with me, no one. That means you. That means me. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God, and I'm going to use the old word, God and mammon. No one can serve Two masters. This is a very unusual set of teachings from Jesus. Have you ever heard the phrase that somebody's a self-made man or a self-made woman? Uh, Have you heard that phrase? And we mean that they have done something good for themselves and they've built their own resources up. Now, listen, I'm not knocking good entrepreneurship or hard work, but... Have you ever met people where they have an air of, I don't need anybody else? I'm, I'm, I'm kind of together myself, and that they're very high achievers. Have you been watching The Apprentice? Have you stopped and just had a look at the puerile way in which people think success happens? Well, somebody on The Apprentice this week said, I've watched Bargain Hunt, therefore I should know how to do this. That's like me watching Casualty and saying I can be a doctor. It's quite strange that this attitude of I must crush everybody else to lift myself up is is such a worldly way of getting ahead. What we are going to learn today is that we're going to learn that such an attitude can develop into a dangerous thing in our life because I want to talk about a cultural stronghold, about the spirit and breaking the spirit of something called mammon in our lives. We could call it a motivating attitude or a spirit behind what drives a lot of what goes on in the world. 
Now, the Bible teaches that there are attitudes that should motivate or drive us. It talks about us having the spirit of kindness. Galatians 5 tells us we are to have the fruit of the Spirit, and that should motivate us. It talks about, the Bible says, that we can have a bitter spirit, and that from that bitterness, that motivates us. The Bible talks about us that we are, in Ephesians 4.23, to be made new in the attitude of our minds. That actually, there's something that needs to change in our minds if we're going to uh, achieve and be uh, godly in life. We are told, and Paul told Timothy, you've not been given a spirit of fear, but of love and power, and of a sound mind. The Bible teaches very often that there is things within us, through us, that motivate us to do things. Okay, do, you, do you understand that, church? In fact, the Bible says that there is a spirit of the Antichrist that's been released in the world today. So this idea of motivating attitudes or motivating spirits is very biblical. In fact, most of us have walked into either our workplace or a pop concert or do you go to pop concerts anymore? Is that what we do? Uh, We say, oh, there's a good atmosphere in this place. You come to church often in weeks and say, oh, it was really good today. I, I, it was a good presence of the Lord. Or I felt a resistance today. I mean, all of us are quite aware of atmospheres and things in running in the background that can determine. You ever walked into a classroom at school and you think, something's just wrong with this class today. Have you ever walked home and you know that something's just up? at home today? Have you talked to your children and thought, there is something not quite right today? Have you had that about yourself, that actually you don't know why you're feeling the way that you're feeling? You might actually be feeling that right now. Because there are forces, attitudes, spirits that oppose us at times, and we have to push through and break through. It's a very common idea to say, oh, what a great atmosphere or what a bad atmosphere. And today, I'm going to examine a spirit, a motivation that all of us have been exposed to. And here in Luke, and he says it in Matthew in his Sermon on the Mount, it's the only place in the whole scripture where Jesus says, You cannot. Don't try and wheedle it. Don't try and finagle it. Don't try and negotiate it. Jesus is the only place where he says, you cannot serve this spirit and God at the same time. You cannot. Don't try and educate yourself through it. Don't try and on our Western sophisticated mindset say, ah, yes, but I could maybe if I perhaps had this. No, you cannot. You cannot serve God and mammon. And I want you to hear that. You see, in another place, Jesus tells an unusual parable called the wheat. In the old language, we call it the wheat and the tares. In in the NIV, it says the wheat and the weeds. And he he says this unusual thing of of church, of kingdom. There, There are times when you have to almost let the bad grow up with the good. 
Because if you, if you pull up that, that weed, you're going to disturb and, and move some things that are good. And, and you know, sometimes in your life, you've been finickety about something that it spoils the, the good that, that God may be doing. And, and in church, sometimes there's, there's issues where you think, I'm just not going to deal with that, even though it's not good, because it'll disturb too much of the good that's going on. And it's a wisdom walk. But here, in this scripture, Jesus says, you cannot. You cannot live in this mix. You can't compromise. You can't say, well, let's just work our way through. And this is why we need, in our culture more than ever before, to break the influence and spirit of mammon in our lives, in our churches, in our nation, in our society, because it's the only place that Jesus makes such a strong contrast. So I want to ask just three important questions today. And actually, at the end of our service today, I'm actually going to ask us all to gather for prayer and pray freedom over each other. Is that okay? I mean, I I don't know whether you came today to have a nice meeting, sing some songs and go home. I came to meet with God. How about you? I want to ask you three important questions today. Number one, what is mammon? What do we mean by that? Secondly, is money really evil and should we just get a bad attitude to it and live in poverty mentality? And what should I do with my money? Is mammon, what is mammon? Is money evil? And what should I do with my money? Let's talk about breaking the spirit of mammon. The word mammon is used just four times in the scriptures, and one of them is a repeat. So there's like three times. But Jesus talks about it as if it's a personality. And often translators have translated as money, but it's actually not an accurate translation just to say money. Jesus talks about it as if it's a God. And when you look in the background of it, it comes from an Aramaic word, an Assyrian root, and it means riches. It means wealth and riches. But more than just money, it's from the root meaning of a God of riches that the Syrians worshipped. And the Syrians uh, came from a place called Babylon. And Babylon is a, is a place and comes from a, uh, the root of Babylon, comes from a place in the scriptures way back in Genesis chapter 11, where people built a tower and said, by that tower, we can reach heaven. Do you remember that story? That they, didn't, they thought that they could reach heaven without God's assistance. And, and that's kind of a spirit today, isn't it? The word Babylon means sown in confusion. And when you take these roots and meanings together, what the word mammon really means is that it's a self-sufficient spirit that says, I have enough riches, I don't need anyone or God or anything else. It's the spirit of self-sufficiency. It's the spirit that says, we can do it on our own. We can build a tower. We can get to heaven. We could climb a ladder. We don't need you, God. It's the spirit that says, I've built all the bonds that I need. I am comfortable now. And then the Lord has to say, you fool, tonight your life is required of you. 
It's the spirit when Jesus talks a lot in parables. Have you ever noticed he says there's a rich man who doesn't take care of the poor? Then there's this man. And he talks a lot about riches. And what he's talking about is this self-sufficient spirit that says, I don't need any help. I can do it on my own. I'm the person that depends on me. Have you ever seen Destiny's Child? Anybody know Destiny's Child here? Shoes on my feet, I put it, dress on my body, I wore it. Is that how it goes? Natalie always bows her head when I start singing words because she knows two things. I only get two things wrong when I sing, the words and the tune. That's the only thing I get wrong. But if you're in that song, it says, I depend on me. And some of you ladies in the house are going, yeah, 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 man. I don't need you to look after me by my own handbag, my own shoes, my own car. I bought it. Spirit of mammon. Spirit of our age. Spirit of the apprentice. It's a spirit that says, I don't need you, God. You see, the spirit of mammon is this self-sufficiency spirit. The spirit of mammon is that trust in riches that substitutes God. This is why we need to break this reliance on money in our lives and the security that we think comes from it. All the things that God promises you Mammon promises you. Money promises you. I can give you happiness. I can give you joy. I can give you purpose. I can give you security. I thought that's what God's supposed to give us. Amen? And you see, we need to break that over our lives. And this is one of the healthy reasons that we've been talking about as far as tithing is concerned. If you say to God, I'm going to give you the first part of my income, it begins to break that in your life. It begins to say, hang on, I don't actually think that my security is coming from that. You see, that's why giving to the poor, giving to alms, tithing, it, it breaks this, this spirit that says, I don't need anything. In fact, it begins to bless and protect our money when we tithe because it releases us from this attitude of slavery. What mammon does is offer everything that God's supposed to offer. So when Jesus says, you cannot serve God and mammon, I want you to notice something. Mammon wants you to serve him. He's not neutral. He wants you to say, well, yeah, that's where I get my jollies from. And this is why we have to be really careful with this thing called the prosperity gospel. That teaching that says we give to get. If you give to God, you'll get a Rolex. I don't know why I lifted my hand up then because that is certainly not a Rolex. You know, you give to get. All this that teaching does is sow selfishness into your life. It builds into your life a reliance on a teaching that says, if I give, I'll get something. And you know what happens? When God, as he does, puts you through seasons of seasons of grief, seasons of trial, seasons of, of character building, 
I love that song, praise him when I'm laughing, praise him when I'm grieving. All the seasons of life, God puts you through those. And, and when God puts you through those, if you have relied on a prosperity gospel, then you get mad at God. You begin to ditch God. And you, you're serving a philosophy. So we're not going to teach a prosperity gospel, give to get. We give to be a blessing. And we are blessed to be a blessing. So you have to understand that mammon always wants you to serve him. And therefore, even in the prosperity gospel, it will, it will, it will claim your loyalty before God. It will say, well, I, I, I think God's going to give me this. And actually, you're more loyal to that message than you are to God itself. Have you ever said this phrase, heard this phrase, we need to love the giver more than the gift. We need to love the one who gave his son for us than just the mechanics of church. You see, in the end times, the spirit of mammon comes and says, it's very interesting to me, in Revelation 13, the people aren't controlled by uh, governments or authorities or threatened of nuclear attack or anything like that. What happens is, is that the spirit of mammon says, you can't buy or sell anything. That's how we'll control you. Look, in our culture today, there is a mass worship of consumerism a sense of this will give me release and happiness. We as Christians, we're even tempted by this spirit to say, if I had more money, I could help people more. When was the last time you noticed that Jesus walked by a blind person and, and they said, son of David, have mercy on me. And he said, have 20 more pounds and that'll help you. He didn't just give them money. He healed the real problem. It's not money that helps people. It's people that help people, actually. It's your kindness that helps people. It's your spirit, your love, your anointing, your gifting. I'm going to teach you a way in which God uses your money to bless people. But actually, when was the last time that the lepers came to Jesus and said, heal me? And he said, here's 20 pounds. He didn't do that. And it won't happen for you. Your ministry will be affected as you work through your heart and your spirit and your gifts. We're always tempted to say, God, if I had more money, then, then I, I would be able to be a much better person. No, you wouldn't. You see, here's the temptation. Sometimes we say things like, if I have more money, then, then actually what we're really saying is I don't need God. What, what God will always, he will only give you enough to what you can handle. And he will only give you enough to, so that you will always need him. We need him, don't we? I need him. It doesn't matter whether I'm a 10 million pound millionaire. I need God. And there's something that money can't buy. You know, the Beatles were right, weren't they? Okay, the Beatles were a group in the 1960s that some of you don't know about, okay? And they wrote a song called, Can't Buy Me Love. It can't buy you God's love. 
And so today, I want to confront this spirit that lives around us and tries to trick us as Christians to say, if only I had more money, I could do more good. But if money could fix all your problems, they are not real problems. There are some problems that only God can fix. And there are some people sitting in this, even in this auditorium, who would say, you know what, I wish I'd relied on God rather than chasing the money. And I want to confront that spirit and say, the spirit of mammon is the spirit of self-sufficiency that ultimately says, serve me, don't trust God. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Who's with me? Come on, give the Lord a hand clap of praise if you believe that you should serve the Lord. I'm calling something out today. I'm calling it out. Second question, and I want to just deal with it, but I want to teach you something unusual. Is money, therefore, evil? Is money evil? If mammon is a spirit that can talk, if you don't believe that uh, mammon talks, uh, do you hear voices during the offering sometimes? Hello? Don't give that much. Or, man, you only gave that much. There are voices that speak to us. If mammon's a spirit that can talk and it can rest on money, your money has either got God's spirit on it or the spirit of mammon on it. And you need to decide and wrestle with God and say, well, God, I want my money to have your spirit. Let's deal and let the Scriptures say this answer. Everybody turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. For he says this, for the love of money, and the word love there means desires. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered away from the faith. There are, there are only a few places where God says how you can wander away from the faith. Another place says you can pierce yourself with many griefs. Have you heard that old uh, hymn that says, take it to the Lord in prayer? See, one of the important things about prayer is that you don't allow griefs to build up in your heart. And you can pierce your soul with many griefs so that you wander away from the faith. Here's another place. It says people eager for money, people who've made money their motivation, have wandered away from the faith. The faith. Hear me now. They've wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Here is a clear, here it's clear that the, it's not money itself that is the issue. It's the desires around money that is the issue. It's your heart towards it. Now, turn with me to Luke chapter 16. Go back there and let's read these unusual verses again because there's a very significant use of money that I want to share with you. Jesus, uh, you know, we've often read this verse wrong. Jesus taught here in verse 9 of Luke 16. He says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so when it's gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. 
And, and many times we've used this verse to say something like this. When you get into trouble, use your money to help you make friends and they'll help you out of it. That's not what this verse means. This verse is talking about your entrance into eternity that those friends who you have made will welcome you there. It's talking about the investment you've put into people in this life who you can win to Jesus through your giving, through your use of your stewardship, through your influence over them through your giving, so that they then have then become into the kingdom, and they welcome you and say, thank you for giving. If you hadn't given to that missionary, I wouldn't be here. So an incredible use of your money is you can convert your money to reach people. You can convert your money to souls for God. Let me show you a picture. Can you put this picture on? The money that you have given has been converted into these people in the Philippine island of Quran. This is the Alpha course. These people are not Christians and currently are doing an Alpha course because you invested in that island. Isn't that great? You see, when we get to heaven, these people are going to say, Thank you! I welcome you into eternal dwellings with us because you were generous enough to give into the kingdom. And that's what Jesus means. He says, use your worldly wealth to make friends who they will welcome you into eternity because you've invested in their lives, given them money. You see, some people call it unrighteous mammon, and that's maybe an old language. But if you use it well for the kingdom... When you die, you'll see what's benefited others. And God will turn that money into souls. When I went to Letchworth uh, Church, and uh, the church before this one, I was a youth leader, and I was earning £17,500 a year. When I went to Letchworth, the salary that they offered me was £15,000 a year. In the f and so I took a pay cut to take on that church. In the first year, 100 people came to Jesus. Do you think that I missed that 2,000 pounds? There is no way. There is absolutely no way that through preaching and people coming to Jesus, that I was worried at all about that. God meets the need. When we came here, uh, I had uh, built Letchworth up through the grace of God, and God had been good, and we doubled our salary. So some of you are just under doubling our salary, so some of you are working that out. It was £28,000. When we came here, I was earning that amount of money, and Kathy was also head of department in a, a school in Luton, and her salary was also equal and a bit more to that. And when we came here, we sat down and said uh, the salary here in Birmingham uh, Christian Centre, as it was then, was only a few thousand pounds more than that. And, uh, but we sat down and said, you know what? We're going to have to give up a salary because we want you to work in the church now. 
Do you think in the first two years of here, when we saw 50 people come to Christ, that that drop in salary of £25,000 meant anything to us? What you've got to understand is souls are true riches. Can I hear an amen? Now, I'm not bigging myself up. I'm just telling you that you need to convert your money into the work for the kingdom. Money's not evil. You just have to use it right. Amen? And some of you are doing jobs that God's called you to. And that money that you get is more than just for your labor. It's for your ministry in that school. It's for your influence on those work colleagues. You're being paid for who you are, not just what you do. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Convert your money into souls. Last question. So what should I do with my money? And the very simple answer is, you should be a good steward. Let's look at these verses. Budgeting. And tithing, saving, and earning. You should be proficient in all those four areas. You might say, you know what, Pastor Mark, you've been on about this for a few weeks now, and and, uh, I just want you to know, I just don't have enough money to take on board what you're saying. And can I say lovingly and kindly to you, unless you steward your money, God will not bless you. God cannot really bless you. Look at verse 10. Luke 16, verse 10. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever's dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. Speaks for itself, doesn't it? Remember Matthew 25, when in the parable of the talents, the one who had the most talents was given the one from the one who had the least because he didn't steward it properly. He gives it to the one who has good stewardship. I want to make you a kind of a promise today. If you stick with us for the next three years, within the next three years, you will learn. You won't get out of debt, but you will learn how to get out of debt. You will have a plan to say, okay, I know what to do. And you'll be free in your thinking and in your heart. Look at verse 12 with me. If you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? Have you ever thought about your money this way, that you're handling it for God? In fact, doesn't Leviticus tell us that the tithe belongs to the Lord? So if you're not handling that properly, if you're not blessing it and giving it, then how can God bless the rest of what you have? How are you going to get what you need if you're not trustworthy with what you've been entrusted with? It goes in lots of areas. Look at verse 11. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? The true riches are people. What are true riches? Things of the Spirit and people. I want to be trusted with people. 
their care of their hearts, their souls, their lives, their dreams, their destinies, their hopes. Souls are the only thing that lasts forever. In this building right now, you know, this is going. You know, we're doing all this refurb power. I'm so sorry to let you know this. And you know, we're having new chairs, and I think they're coming next week. But you know what? They are not going to last for eternity. They will minister to our derriere for a while, but then they won't last. The only thing that's going to last in this building is you and Jesus. And that's the only thing that's really worth investing in. And so I'm going to use that which God is giving me, my house, my car, my life, my time, my treasure, my money, for true riches. You see, the more that you can let the church operate, the more that the church can help and be a place where people can be saved. The more that you can do that, God will take your resources and your money and turn it into true riches. It's great that we've got a youth leader that's investing into our young people. It's great that we have a children's leader that's working with our children. That's true riches. You know, both my, both my daughters are married. And uh, I, I checked out the two guys that came knocking at the door asking for permission to marry my daughters. And one of the things that, in fact, with one of them, uh, it, we, we were living on campus here, and I stuck scriptures up the wall so that when he came to visit, that he had to read those scriptures. Like, you know, I thought, you know, it's, it's, it's better to be single for the kingdom of God. So he just kind of read that, you know. And, but I, I, you know, stuck Malachi 3.10, you know, tithing, you know, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. And actually, in reality, my, uh, my older daughter married a banker, and, I, and he wanted, he called me, and he thought he could just do it on the phone. Oh, what a mistake. He said, oh, I've got a question to ask you. He said, I'm going to get on a train, and we're going to have dinner together. And we had dinner together, and actually with both of my sons-in-law, I checked out how responsible they are with money. I asked them, are you in debt? What do you think about credit cards? How will you look after my daughter? Listen, men. Why would I give my daughter to somebody who can't handle money? Why would I do that? And I say to all the girls in our church, just be careful who you choose. Don't choose some loser who wants to just put you in debt. My daughters are true riches for me. You've got to get past me, my illegal gun collection, my illegal knife collection, my prayers against you to get even close to them. And when you do get close to them, you've got to be able to say, these are true riches. Handle them well. Can I hear an amen? What about your family? What about your children? Are you going to be irresponsible so that your children grow up in a household being, being treated that way? They are your riches. Doesn't the Bible say the in, 
children are an inheritance for the Lord. Why not do well with something as simple as money so that true riches can come into your life? Now, please, when I've told you about my salary and taking pay cuts, don't see me as some sort of weird hero or anything. I'm sure you would do the same. But let's pray. And let's ask today, God, what are you saying to me? Would you please stand with me? We've got time just to pray for a little bit. Isn't it time that you said, God, what are you saying to me? What are you speaking into my life? Have I given my life to a spirit? Is it speaking to me in ways that it shouldn't be? It might take a few more days, you know, for the Lord to really speak to you. But just for a moment, would you just hold your hands out with me and just say, God, what are you saying to me?